you may not know this, but with WBEZ, you can catch up on the news live anytime you want with the WBEZ app or at 91.5 on your car radio. Whether you beam it or stream it, the news is on WBEZ. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, Omkari Williams tells us about her handy little book called Microactivism. It's all about the idea that you can create positive change even if you can't solve world hunger. We get sucked into this idea that if we're not doing huge things, if our actions aren't having an enormous global impact, that somehow they don't matter. And that is so far from the truth. But first, it's our chance to sit back and unwind from the week that was and look ahead to the year that will be with two excellent humans with us this week. We have the co-hosts of Fanti. They are also the co-authors of Historically Black Phrases, Travel Anderson and Jarrett Hill. Travel, of course, is also the author of the Black Transcultural History. We see each other. Hi, you two. Hello, hello. Hi. Thanks for having us back. Thanks for coming on. Okay, so it is somehow already December. Everybody's coming out with all their best of your reflections. We've got all this Spotify rap stuff happening this week. Mm-hmm. And of course, people are also looking ahead to 2024. There was a recent piece in T, the New York Times style magazine that went all in on what's going to be hot next year. They talked to artists and filmmakers and chefs about their predictions. They're kind of amazing. So I want to talk about some of them, but I would also love to hear insights from y'all because I have a feeling you two are more plugged into this sort of thing than I am. Mm. Um, So the first question in the article was which colors will predominate? There were a lot of different answers. My favorite is probably diarrhea brown. Oh, no. What What do y'all think? I wear black all the time anyway, you know? I got nothing. I was gonna say like I'm I'm probably really boring in this one because my whole house is painted in black. I wear black mm. all the time, and black is my favorite <laughs> color. Um, <laughs> what I've been doing though is like adding on things to it, right? Like I've always had like a black and gold thing, which for black folks always translates to me being a member of Alpha Phi Alpha, which is not the case. But like I like to add <laughs> colors to it, right? So like now I've been starting to add like bits of green and mm. uh, you know because I have plants around my place. I'm like, oh, the green seems to work around here there as well. Go. And so, Life. yeah. So I I'm I'm moving in that direction. But black is really my baseline. Mm, I love it. I love it. I really liked the answer from Kwame Onwachi, who's a chef. He said he thinks it'll be colors that reflect opulence, like bluish purple, mm. and that it'll be the year of treating yourself, which I love. Mm. Oh, I love purple. Right? Purple's yes. my thing in this moment. All shades of purple, mm. you know, royal purple, lavender, you know, my book that I came out with is purple. Mm-hmm. Everything's purple in my life right now. So <laughs> love that prediction. But I was going to go with fluorescent beige. Okay. For a couple for a couple reasons. For a couple reasons. One, no, Jared, (laughs) stay, sit down. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Fluorescent beige for a few reasons. Why? One, okay, it is a featured color in um, T.S. Madison's monologue as sampled on Beyonce's Renaissance. Wow, wow, wow. The song is cozy, all right? Mm. Um, And two, because it also harkens back to the canonical black movie, 
Precious, in which mm. a character says that uh, her color, her favorite color is fluorescent beige. <laughs> my favorite color is fluorescent beige, and my ambition is to have my own record layer. But also, in a more practical way, everyone is super into neutrals of, of every sort, yeah. right? You know what I mean? But, yeah. like, we've done the, the, the body-colored thing. Every, everybody, everybody now, right, has a nude of their own. Mm. But now we need to get the nudes with a little extra razzle-dazzle. <laughs> and that's where the fluorescent comes in. Right. So we're giving fluorescent beige. We're giving fluorescent brown instead of diarrhea brown. You see where I'm going with this? Not really. Um, yeah, but... I'm having a really hard time picturing it. I hate being the hater with Jarrett here, but I'm confused, Trevor. I, but I will say, friend, you did that so beautifully. Like You did. I really <laughs> loved it. I'm along for the ride, but I'm still confused. 100%. Understood. Understood. It's fine. <laughs> okay, so another question in this article was who or what will make a comeback, which is obviously extremely broad. But I have a feeling y'all are going to have good answers for this one. I, you know, you know who just dropped in my spirit Mm. and I hate this for me and I hate this for (laughs) us, but I love this for music. And that is Chrisette Michelle. Do y'all remember Chrisette Michelle? Mm-mm. Oh wow! Oh wow! Um, <laughs> Jared does. I so I Chrisette Michelle is an R and B star. She just was really popular. I feel like in the early aughts. And then she decided to perform at Trump's inauguration against, you know, all advice. Um, (laughs) And, 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 you know, the world canceled her. Right. Mm -hmm. And we can have a deeper conversation about the ways that, you know, black women, you know, get, you know, canceled um, in ways that other people don't and all of that. But she had a singular voice. She's a singular talent. And I'm looking at the ways that like these young R&B girls are like running culture right now from the mm-hmm. Grammy nominations to, you know, the award show performances. Coco Jones, SZA, you know, what's the other? Um, Victoria Monet. Uh, that one, mm-hmm. Victoria Monet. And I'm like... I want to see the OG R&B dolls, you know, benefit from this moment hmm. that the the seeming younger girls are 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 having. And so why not? I want to see Chrisette Michelle make a comeback. Okay. Wow. Okay. Is there um, a person you've been thinking about, Sharon? <laughs> um Well, I can start off by saying it certainly wasn't Chrisette Michelle. Um, (laughs) Fair. Same. (laughs) Um, Shocking that it wasn't on your list either, but I will say it was not on mine. Um, I actually kind of am in the same theme of Trayvell's. Victoria Monet is who I'm expecting Mm. us to see explode next year. I think, uh, you know, we've seen her uh, really have an explosive year already. 
Um, for those of you that don't know Victoria Monet, she's a R&B artist who this year has really kind of like popped and had major commercial success, but has been around for a mm -hmm. long time. Um, mm -hmm. Her new album Jaguar 2 came out and uh, a couple of weeks later she announced her, you know, her national tour and was stunned when the whole tour sold out within hours, uh, within uh, within a moment, I believe, in the first few moments um, oh, of it going really on cool. sale. And then this year uh, she was just nominated for seven Grammys for her album. Um, and her daughter, Hazel, who is the cutest little two year old, um, <laughs> is is nominated with her mom and has become the youngest Grammy nominee because she's on the song um, that's nominated. So. I have been watching Victoria Monet now. I'm actually, for the stands out there, like I'm very new to the movement, right? So mm. judge me as much as you want. Um, but All I've been like, yeah, exactly, right? People have known about her for a long time, but like I've just been paying a lot of attention to her and like I really enjoy her in interviews. I enjoy listening to her speak. I thoroughly enjoy the album and like I've gone back and listened to her older music as well. And like I expect Victoria Monet to be someone that we cannot get out of our heads next year. Mm, that's really cool. On the aesthetic side, I really liked there were a couple answers around the idea of like things that are very evident that they've been touched by another human being as being more popular. And some examples hmm. were like quilts or lace or tapestries or carving oh. or plaster and casting. And I really love that idea of like two different people in this article talked about that idea of like more touch, which I think is really gorgeous. Mm, I it's so interesting that this has come up because I've said on our show a number of times that I'm really curious about all of the data points that we're making right now that mm. in, you know, 20 in 2030 and 2035 that we'll be able to look back and see like, oh, this wasn't me being weird. This was all of us going through X after through pandemic. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. like. The ways that we continue to see more and more like virtual reality and AI and all those things, I'm like, people are going to start becoming a lot more touch deprived. And I'm really yeah. curious about the ways that we're going to see, you know, our society and culture change um, when we're so polarized in a lot of ways. But we're also a lot of us are really isolated and those different kinds of things. So this actually makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, totally. Okay. So one of the questions that was on the more off the rails side, and I can't wait to ask y'all is which body parts are going to be in fashion? Mm. I love this question and I think my answer is actually going to be the lower back. Mm. You remember when the we went through this era of like low rise jeans of and course. like everybody's like lower back like right above you know the crevice was tramp like stamp region? very tramp stamp region <laughs> it was all the rage every it doesn't matter what type of body you had okay yeah. everybody was wearing a crop top to show off you know what they got going back there and i think it's one of the most beautiful parts of anybody's body mm. you know what i mean particularly when when accentuated and mm. i would love to see that come back, which would mean people got to be ready to take off a little bit of clothing, um, you know. Uh, but I, why, why not? A little liberation and freedom for folks. <laughs> I love it. Um, I am going to say male midriff. Mm. Oh, I think we're going to see like in the last year or two, last couple of years now, we've seen the men with the hoochie daddy shorts. You know, those are the short yes. shorts that are giving a lot more thigh than we're used to seeing from men. 
Uh-huh. But like, mm-hmm. because we've seen the queer men do it, I know that the straight men are not too far behind. And so they are <laughs> jealous. They want to be able to have their thighs out. And they did it this year. And I've started to see like queer folks starting mm-hmm. to do this more. And I'm actually mm-hmm. really curious when straight men start doing it. And I bet you it's going to be like the football players. And then we're going to start seeing it more and more from the pro athletes. And then it's going to filter out into the world. Mm-hmm. I called it and I, I just want to make sure that I get credit. <laughs> I just okay. would like to note the male midriff region is just the front part of the correct. lower back tramp stamp <laughs> That's region. Correct. That's correct. And by showing your midriff, you are also giving oh, space to the tramp stamp region. And so we see each other. You're both winning. Okay. That's beautiful. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, okay, so another ridiculous question was what plant or flower will we fall in love with? Which is, this is where I'm just like, who are these people that they actually have confident answers for these? But maybe y'all do too. I don't know. Um, I have a weird no. hypothesis. What is that? I've been seeing, like I saw someone on Instagram the other day post a picture of like a corn plant that they were just growing as a house plant. Please get out my face. I know, I knew you were going to be really happening? upset about it. <laughs> Well, and I've seen people do it with like avocados too. And I have it like some, a thing you can just like sprout in your, or like a potato. Wow. I have another friend who did it with a potato recently. I think, I wonder if that's going to become a weird trend of like things that you, that like should be able to feed you if they grow outside, but just become like weird house plants for some reason. Wow. <laughs> Which is, you know, so I just, I just want to note, I do feel like, you know, I love a at home garden moment. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, But like if you have an apartment and you are growing potatoes in your apartment, I got questions. (laughs) (laughs) Like on the first date, that's like you're growing potatoes. (laughs) Let's talk about that. Say more, you know? Yeah. Let's break that down. Let's unpack it. Well, I mean, I think the potato one really is like, I mean, all you have to do is be real lazy with the potato, right? Because it just does that. Yeah, I guess you're right. Go. Actually, yeah, I, yeah. I I yeah. just imagine I imagine you like <laughs> leaning in with your 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 elbow on your knee, your chin on your on your fist. Like, tell me, tell more. me more. A potato. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think it's interesting. I'm kind of into this. So, like, I've been come I've become a bit of a plant nista. Not really like leaned all the way in, but I have plenty of plants around my house. I can't deny it. Mm. And so the idea of having something that's a little bit different or a little bit more creative than the typical houseplants that we're used to, that makes sense to me. Corn is actually, I, I'm not saying I'm about to go grow corn, but corn does grow in a beautiful way that it, mm. if it could be done, I could see it making sense because of the way the stalks grow and all of that see? kind of stuff. Physically, it would make sense to me, but it seems like Whatever a lot. Whatever happened to carnations, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bird is a paradise, you know. (laughs) Okay, so um, my last question for y'all with the crystal ball is what do you hope will happen in 2024? I want to see the Wiz musical become the biggest thing that ever happened. And then we get a a movie. I love that. I would love that. I would love, I just found out that Inside Out, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, Mm -hmm. is having a sequel that comes out next year. And I'm so excited about that because I think that movie was brilliant. Um, And I hope for a lot more ease next year. Yeah. 
man, I, my body, even just hearing you say that, it's mm. like, oh, thank God. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is such tap. a beautiful yes. word. It's such a beautiful word. 2024, the year of rest. Why not? Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you both so much for coming on. Y'all are just a delight every time. Thank, thank you. you. Right after the break, we are going to learn all about microactivism, a new framing that will empower you to help change the world. You may not know this, but with WBEZ, you can catch up on the news live anytime you want with the WBEZ app or at 91.5 on your car radio, whether you beam it or stream it. The news is on WBEZ. I don't have to tell you there is a lot of deeply troubling stuff happening in the world right now, both in our backyards and on the other side of the planet. We are being overloaded with devastating information all the time. And I think a lot of us end up feeling completely hopeless and helpless about whether we can actually make positive change, which is why we thought it would be a great time to talk to Omkari Williams. She is the author of Microactivism, How You Can Make a Difference in the World Without a Bullhorn. Omkari, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here because, yeah, you're not kidding. It's a lot right now. There is a great line in the foreword of this book, which I think says a lot. It's written by Layla F. Saad, and she wrote, microactivism helps us stop playing into the oppressive conditioning that teaches us to compete and compare. Instead, it teaches us exactly who we are and what we bring to the table is precisely the kind of activism that the world needs. I just love that because I think there's a lot to unpack even in that sentence, but it's, you are doing the good work of dismantling a lot and empowering people in really new and exciting ways, I think. Well, thank you for that. I, you know, it's actually one of my favorite sentences from the forward as well, Mm. because I do think we get sucked into this idea that if we're not doing huge things, if our actions aren't having an enormous global impact, that somehow they don't matter. And Mm. that is so far from the truth. And it's something that keeps most of us completely paralyzed. We feel Mm -hmm. like, well, this little thing isn't going to matter. So I'm just not going to do anything. Yeah. I mean, you have another, you've wrote a great, I mean, you wrote a number of great sentences in this book that went, but one that really stuck out to me is the idea of like, yes, world hunger is alarming. You probably can't fix that whole situation, but you could probably help feed a neighbor in need. And that's one less hungry person. Yes, exactly. And I really specifically wrote that because I wanted to bring down to human scale the idea Mm -hmm. of activism and take it out of the realm of something that a select few uniquely gifted, uniquely blessed individuals do in the world and make it something that all the rest of us do as well. Just as sort of, you know, Alice Walker calls it the rent we pay for being on the planet. Mm -hmm. And I always have loved that description because we are here. And I feel like that we are here means we have an obligation to do what we can. So yeah, I would love to get your definition of microactivism, which I feel like we've touched on a little bit. But first, can we talk about activism in general? Because I think even that can feel really vague to people. Like, how do you define activism? 
I define it really quite simply. I I sort of take it down to the root of the word, which comes Mm. from action, right? And I define activism as taking action on something that you see in the world that is not okay with you, that something that needs to be made right. Activism in the larger sense, that, that I think is kind of what we think of when we think of someone like Dr. King mm-hmm. or Malala Yousafzai or Greta Thunberg. You know, we think of these sort of towering figures in their various realms of work and we don't really think of it as something that normal people do. But normal people do those things. And if normal people didn't, those people that we have in our minds as activists wouldn't have that status because nobody does this work by themselves. Uh, an example I like to use is the March on Washington in 1963. Dr. King standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, is talking to a crowd of over 100,000 people. If those 100,000 plus people weren't there, if it was just Dr. King on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, he would have been a tourist just visiting the (laughs) memorial. Nobody would be talking about that event. No one would remember that event. It was all those anonymous people being there all those micro-activists' presence that made the difference. And that's kind of always the case, but we tend to forget that. I love that grounding and centering of it because I do think it can be really hard for a lot of us in our day-to-day lives to think of ourselves as activists. Yeah. I I think, you know, first off, most of us in our day-to-day lives are just trying to get from Monday to Mm -hmm. Friday without completely (laughs) losing our minds. So, you know, that doesn't leave a whole lot of room for Mm -hmm. most people to take on work that classically has been defined as activist work. But if you break it down and you make it micro-activist, then you can absolutely do that. You can share some extra food from a meal that you made with the unhoused person that you randomly encounter on the street or that you regularly encounter. You can uh, do something that my friend Shannon does, which is she keeps bags in her car, Ziploc bags with a hat and $5 and hand warmers and things like that in them that she will give out to unhoused people as she's driving around where Mm -hmm. she lives. So there are ways to do things that are not going to actually require that you leave your family and abandon your dog and quit your job. (laughs) You can just stay in your life and still make an impact. Yeah, it'd be great to impact the whole world in a positive way, but one person matters. And we need to remember that that is the case. I think it comes from such a hopeful place, this message that you're giving too, which I really love. Yes. Well, the options are hope or despair. Mm -hmm. And given those options, I'm going to go with hope every single time. (laughs) And I think it's really important to just understand that it is a choice. It's not like, oh, it's been foreordained for us. You know, we get to decide how we engage with things. We get to decide whether we're going to be hopeful or we're just going to live in despair. And hope requires more energy for sure, Mm. uh, because it requires us to also be active. 
Mm. You cannot honestly be hopeful if you're doing nothing. And sometimes it's, you know, for me, I have two little nephews, not yet one and three years old. And I refuse to live in a world without hope because they Mm. deserve a hopeful world. So in the book, you break down some of the most common roles when it comes to activism, or at least things that people can kind of choose which they might gravitate towards, which I love because as you mentioned, so often, I think we do just think of the Greta Thunbergs or, you know, the people in front on the stage making the impassioned speech as opposed to all of the dozens, if not hundreds of background people, if not hundreds of thousands of people it takes to actually make something like that happen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I call them the four archetypes mm-hmm. and they they come actually out of my performance background. I used to be an actor and I spent a lot of time on film sets and there were basically these four different categories and I just adapted them for the archetypes and they're the headliner, the producer, the organizer, and the indispensable. And in the film world, they correlate to the star the producer, the director, and the background people. Mm. And all of those people are needed to make a film. You take any one of those out and you don't have a film anymore. You need each of those roles to be filled. And in the world of activism, it's the same. The headliner functions as someone who really gets people excited about something and gets them to see the bigger vision The producer functions as the person who's a little behind the scenes, but making sure that the big picture is all kept in mind and that each role is being fulfilled. The organizer will take on one of the specific roles and make sure that it's being taken care of fully. And then the indispensable, they're the people behind the scenes doing things like making sure there's coffee in the break room making sure that the maps are printed so that people know what the route is for the march. And each of those roles is really critical to the overall success of any movement. And I think sometimes we get stuck on the headliner and think Mm -hmm. that they're the whole be all and end all, but really they're just not. That's just not how life works. I love that you call the background people the indispensables because I think you're that really, I mean, that says it all right there. Oh, completely. I mean, without them, things would go downhill so fast. It's just (laughs) astonishing. (laughs) And yet these are the people whose faces we'll never know and names we'll never know. Yeah. I love how you say not to underestimate the power of unglamorous tasks too. Nope. (laughs) Well, I love it too, just because I think about, you know, our type A introverts out there who like would love to build a spreadsheet and then hand it off to somebody to call out the names or whatever, you know, like I just think it's just really empowering, I think, for a lot of different kinds of people. It really is. And as someone who would rather sit home with a sharp object in her eye than be responsible for a spreadsheet, (laughs) I cannot tell you how much I appreciate those people. So something you talk about that I love, and I think will probably resonate with Nerdette listeners a lot too, is the idea and importance of joy in this work. Oh, yeah. Which I, you know, on Nerdette, we talk a lot about the idea of delight. And I was especially inspired. I don't know if you've read Ross Gay's Book of Delights. I have not. I I think it's, yeah, I think you'll like it a lot. I think it's very resonant with what you're talking about too. And the idea is 
you know, the more attention you pay to delight, the more delight shows up for you. Yes. And, and yeah, I think, I think it's really resonant with what you're talking about too. There is this experience of just being open to joy, being open to delight that I think is really important and often doesn't get the attention that it deserves in the work of activism because we're generally trying to right a wrong and people feel like, well, where's the joy in that? Mm. But the joy is there in serving something and serving someone and recognizing your common humanity. There is so much joy in that. The joy exists in taking an action and seeing that it's made a little tiny dent in something and, and recognizing that, oh, if you expand that, it makes a bigger dent and that actually can make a really big difference. So there's so many opportunities for joy in the world. We often just don't really notice them for whatever reason. You know, I, I think humans are hardwired to look for what's not working. It's kind of a survival mechanism. But putting our attention on what is working is also this really important, really profound thing to do. Well, I think too, the idea of giving ourselves permission to have fun while also helping is so lovely, right? Then it's not like, oh, I have to go do this really boring, like hang flyers or whatever. It's like, no, I'm going to, I'm doing something that I'm really enjoying and is important to me and brings me joy and is helping. Like, that's beautiful. Yeah, it totally is. I mean, the idea of activism is not that we're supposed to be sacrificing ourselves on the altar of doing good. I mean, that kind of seems to me against the whole point of the thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's, you know, sacrifices may need to be made in the course of doing the work, but without joy, I promise you are going to quit because why? <laughs> why on earth would anyone keep doing something that does not in some way, shape or form bring them joy, bring them satisfaction, bring them this, a sense of meaning and purpose? We're just not going to do that. I mean, most of us can look back at our lives and say, yeah, that's never worked out. At some point, I just bail because joy is a necessary ingredient or we do nothing. So for someone who has heard this conversation and is thinking, you know what, I really would love to, to figure out my own microactivism, where do you suggest they begin? I think that the thing to do is go back to what I call your origin story. And that's the story about why you care about activism in the first place. It could be that, you know, you saw someone getting bullied in school when you were a kid and you said to yourself, when I grow up, I'm going to make sure that that doesn't happen in my presence ever again. I'm going to do something about that. It could be that you knew a family down the street from you that, was food insecure, and you wanted to make sure that that didn't happen in your community. Whatever the thing that initially got you thinking, I need to make a change in this thing, that's where I really suggest you start, because that's a cause that calls to your heart, and that will keep you going when times are tough, which they will be, because that's Mm -hmm. just the nature of things. And It's easy to get pulled from one thing to another because there's so many things going on in the world. But if you can stick with those things that really speak to you from a heart place, then it's much easier to continue the work. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise. I'm really excited to see what what people do with this book. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real joy speaking with you. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Over the next couple of weeks, since it is somehow December, we are going to look back at some of our favorite books, podcasts, and TV shows of 2023. And we would love to hear from you. Do you have a favorite? If so, give us a call and let us know. You can tell us a little about it. You can just say the title, whatever it is. We would love to hear from you. As always, you can just record yourself on your phone and then email the file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. If you think of it, you could make the subject line something like best of 2023, but you know, we'll find it either way. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman at WBEZ in Chicago and is part of the NPR network. And our executive producer is Brendan Banlazak. We will see you next week. I would just like to submit that the name of this episode just might be Tramp Stamp Region. I'm just going to put it out there. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that and it's Chicago based. So you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown.